Welcome back to the podcast. I'm John, and you're listening to the Red Dice Diaries. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Johannes Pavela and Matthew Bryan about a recent RPG session of the Burning Wheel that we had, that Johannes ran. However, before that, I've got a quick voicemail from fellow Purple Wormer, Colin Green, a.k.a. Spike Pit. So take it away, Colin. As a result of a couple of your recent episodes, John, I've been diving back into Lamentations of the Flame Princess, looking at retainers and the property and finance rules reason i'm doing that is because they when when i originally read through this rule set i was really taken with these rules in particular the way they've got some interesting retainers detailed out with the costs for their like living wage or their like non-residential wage and if you've got them living in there's a space requirement obviously that space requirement is what you need to house them. So it ties in neatly with, with the property and the finance rules. And there, there are simple and brief rules that deal with all of that stuff in a really concise way that I can't go into here, but I would urge people to take a look. You are absolutely right, Colin. I'd forgotten entirely about the property and hiring rules in Lamentations of the Flame Princess, but after receiving your message, I went back and had another read of them, and I agree. They are pretty sort of easy to understand, but just detailed enough that they add something to a game. I will no doubt be seeking to fold those into my Castles and Crusades Middlelands game in the near future, particularly with your bunch of likely-looking associates having recently acquired a house and a henchman. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. So thank you very much for that message, Colin. And as Colin said, I would advise any of you who are interested in this to go and have a look on Drive Through RPG. There is an art-free grindhouse version of Lamentations of the Flame Princess available there for pay what you want, I think. So there's no reason not to check out those excellent rules. So thanks again, Colin, and let's get on with the main episode. Okay, we are now streaming live. Thank you for joining me for this recording of a podcast entry about our recent experience playing the Burning Wheel. I'm joined by Johannes Pavla, who ran the Burning Wheel session that we're going to be discussing, and also by Matthew Bryan, who was my fellow player in the game. Just a, a two-person game playing a sample scenario. Now, we're going to talk in... So very broad sense about what Burning Wheel is in a few moments, but I'm just going to ask Johannes if he'd be kind enough to give us a sort of quick rundown and a capsule description of the particular module that we played and why you chose it. Yeah, sorry, uh, I was a little bit distracted. So just the just the like the module, the adventure bit. Yeah, if you can just give us a quick yep. rundown yep. of the actual sample scenario that we played. Yeah, yeah, cool. So uh, what we played with was uh, a part of this three-piece 
uh, sort of like adventure arc that the guys at Burning Wheel HQ have made uh, called Twilight in the Duchy Verdorben. And this first bit was called Trouble in Hocken. Um, in a nutshell, the characters have been sent or have come for various reasons to this remote village of Hocken in the middle of the winter. And they have heard rumors that the village is suffering from famine and that there might be some uh, forbidden, uh, obviously forbidden, uh, infernal uh, influences at play. And yeah, so the characters arrive in this this village in the dead of winter and they set about finding out what's wrong in trouble in Hocken. Indeed. Now, there were some sample characters available in the actual, uh, the module, so to speak. Uh, obviously, there was a, myself and Matthew only picked two, obviously, but there were a number of different characters. How many are there in total included in the, in the module, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, I just want to check uh, one moment. Uh, oh, no okay, so we have we have Bryn, uh, the young uh, sorceress. Uh, we have uh, which I did not include in the uh, selection for you guys to pick from, uh, but we have uh, Celeburn, which is an uh, elf uh, character who is um, sort of like wanderer type elf. And then we have Daniel, who is a local hunter uh, from Hawken, the, the village itself. And then we have Furiard, uh, who is a dwarf. Uh, again, uh, a bit of an outcast, uh, adventurer type. And um, then, let's see, Gunther, who is a lowborn knight. And Theoden, who is a, a priest that has recently graduated from his seminary. Uh, so we have six altogether in the the sort of kit provided for trouble in Hawken. Okay, now the, the character I played in the session was Bryn, who, as you said, Johannes, is a sorceress. And but I've got to admit, part of the reason I went for that, as you know, is because I'm currently trying to sort of get my head around the rules of a burning wheel. And I think I've got a handle on the basic stuff, but I'd not really delved into the magic. And as we all know, it's always different sort of seeing something written down in a book that it is actually experiencing it in play so i wanted to pick one of the the sort of magic using classes so i could really sort of jump into that and sort of get my head around how it worked now matthew you played gunter the the sort of the the noble knight what was it that drew you towards that character in particular well i do enjoy a good knightly tale um when i looked through the character options obviously i out of the three of us, I'm probably one that knows the least about Burning Wheel, so I had kind of a blank slate, as it were. Uh, it, so it, by playing a knight, I felt it would give me a kind of inkling in the social structure of the game, you know, sort of help me understand how it works. Also, I felt, you know, playing a, a noble probably would, would have some competencies, so I wouldn't be a, shall we say, a burden to the scenario. Well, it's definitely always a, a wise plan in a, a fantasy RPG to have someone who's at least a bit handy in a fight, which my character, unsurprisingly, being a spellcaster, was considerably not capable of doing. Yeah, not not a brute by any means. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a brute there, I'm like at the opposite end of the scale for, for Bryn. But um, 
but before we sort of start getting into unpacking the the scenario a bit and sort of what we liked about it, what we didn't, how we found the game, uh, Johannes, if you had to give like a very sort of brief, like capsule description of Burning Wheel as a whole as a role playing game to to someone who's maybe a bit interested, but uh, they just want sort of like a, a little bit of a description to get them going, how how would you phrase it? I will just refer to the ad copy at the back of Burning Wheel Gold Revised, the red and gold book that you you can pick up if you want to uh, at your store. Um, it says, um, Burning Wheel is a fantasy role-playing game in which players take on the roles of vibrant, dynamic characters whose very beliefs propel the story forward. Um, so your choices, again, continuing from a little bit below, uh, your choices uh, tangibly affect every outcome from glorious victory to ignominious defeat. Uh, but there are consequences to every action, ramifications to every action. Um, your, the choices you make close up one path while opening another. This philosophy underpins the character creation system for Burning Wheel. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'll just continue because this is this is pretty uh, good for what Burning Wheel is. This philosophy underpins the character creation system for Burning Wheel, and it's not just a matter of pushing a point here or nudging a number there. As soon as you decide to make a character in Burning Wheel, you are confronted with decisions about your character's past, ethics, beliefs, scars, goals, and dreams. The questions uh, whose answers affect not only your character, but the shape of the story as a whole. So that's not really a capsule, but Burning Wheel is a bit of a sprawling, pretty on sprawling the thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, so basically, the the things that I would highlight from this uh, rather long capsule description is that Burning Wheel characters are vibrant, dynamic, and their beliefs propel the the very game forward because that's sort of what Burning Wheel focuses on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I sort of found enjoyable, uh, and th this is the first game of sort of core Burning Wheel I've played, although I have played Mouse Guard before, which uses like a sort of simplified version of Burning Wheel. Now, the sort of two main games I tend to play at the moment is I play a lot of OSR games, you know, your D&D sort of stuff, your Castles and Crusades, etc. But sort of still one of my, my great loves is the, the Fate RPG, which is obviously very focused on the narrative um, it has things like aspects where it it gives like a concrete reason for your character to get involved in stuff it links you into the background of the world now I, I don't know about you guys but to me when we were playing burning wheel and when we were looking at the characters and we were talking about them because they were sort of i'd describe them as like partially genned up so they had all the stats mm -hmm. and everything like that on but we still got to pick like the relationships and the beliefs and the things that sort of tied them into the the campaign world. It very much felt to me like a, a sort of seamless melding of your more traditional sort of fantasy RPG. You know, you've got skills, you've got uh, dice you can roll, you've got dice pools, etc. And your more sort of narrative systems like Fate, where you've got you've got like beliefs and aspect style mechanics that tie you into the game world but that also have an effect on the game mechanics. And I think that it's certainly the most the most seamless way of bringing those together that I've seen thus far. Matthew, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I found the, I found the pre-gens quite helpful. They, um, <clears throat> they seem to have set up in such a way that they, could, they showed you what your character could do, but it was still up to us to decide who our characters were. And where they'd been, and what they'd done, and what their beliefs were, which was a nice, 
a nice blend, I thought. Uh, obviously, I'm still relatively new to the game, so I'm still learning a lot about how it works. But yeah, it's, it seemed pretty well put together. Yeah, I mean, to, to give people who are listening a more, uh, a more sort of concrete example, look, looking at the sheet, I'm looking at Bryn's sheet in Roll20 now, you've got your stats, which is sort of like your attributes, you know, things like perception, agility, speed, stuff like that. Um, you've got what they actually call attributes in this game, which are like your health, um, circles, uh, your steel and your resources. And then you also have skills, which things like, for my character, things like alchemy, etiquette, uh, sorcery, etc. And also like the fighting-based skills for Gunter. But you've also got uh, a number of beliefs, which you effectively, you gain sort of, Arthur, as it's called, you gain sort of like bonus points, which you can use to influence the game by playing out these beliefs. So for... For these pre-gens, there was one already on the character sheet. We got to choose another two, which is something I like doing when I go to cons and I make pre-gens. If you've got a system that supports it, you know, you do like 99% of the work on the character sheet. And then you, but you say to the person who's going to be playing, you've still got a chance to like customise the character a bit. So for a one-shot, it means you've not got to spend half the one-shot creating the basics of the character you can look at so i can look at Bryn and go yeah all the skills are there i can see she's good at sorcery not a good fighter i can see this side and the other but then when it comes to the actual personality like the beliefs and the instincts which i'll go into in a bit i still had a bit of sort of a bit of tweaking room to like finesse that and sort of flavor the character how i saw fit so for instance for mine i had the belief that I will attain wealth and power by any means, arcane or mundane, but the surest way to build a famous reputation is as a powerful hero. And that was the one that was predefined. I then went for magic is a wonderful and natural force. I aim to show people that it can be wielded for the betterment of all. Now, when we were sort of talking about the scenario, it was sort of implied that, you know, we'll go into like a, a sort of backwater sort of village where magic's viewed with suspicion. So one of the things about beliefs in Burning Wheel is the idea that you create the beliefs as a player and the GM's job is to challenge those beliefs because it engenders role-playing. So I deliberately went, right, I'm going to pick a, pick a belief that's at odds with the sort of perceived view of magic because that instantly creates conflict. And then for my second one, I thought, right, I want something that ties mine and Matthew's characters together so we can both jump straight into it. And I went for, Gunter is a pure soul and mistakenly believes everyone holds themselves to the same standards. I aim to prevent others taking advantage of his kind nature. And that straight away sort of flavours how my character sees Matthew's character. Now, Matthew, when it came to choosing your beliefs for your character... Uh, how did you sort of go about it? What was your sort of thought process behind it? So when I was putting it together, uh, I wanted something that would connect me to the place of the scenario, mm -hmm. which I believe was already present. Um, yeah, I can see you have a belief here that says, I've heard the dark rumours from my home village of Hocken and that its people may have fallen from the path. I plan to return and save them from themselves if necessary. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, I have a connection to the place we're going. Um, you can sort of have an indication of the kind of personality that Gunter had. That he's the man, you know, believes strongly in people, you know, having a path in life. And, you know, the, he, has a very, he has a very clear idea of right and wrong. Yeah. In this belief. 
and that he will you know try to help people even if they don't realize they need the help yeah then i can see your second belief was my father has not been the same since my mother died and i fear his desperation may have driven him to extreme means i returned to hock and hoping that my fears are unfounded so again tying you into the background gives me a personal connection to the town but also a sort of an ulterior motive to be there so it's i'm not just there doing a job i have my own ambitions while i'm there you know there's it's you know add an extra dimension to the character so it's not like a one sort of goal there's actually more of a texture yeah to what the character wants to do and it's more that his goals may not align entirely with the rest of the pie obviously it was just the two of us in this in this particular uh, session you know but um in you know if a game of like three or four people they you know have been contrasted where we were different things yeah i mean th this this very much put me in mind of uh, a similar mechanic that's used in some of the the power by the apocalypse games i've played where you're encouraged to take relationships that apply to different mm -hmm. members of the group and obviously the, the way your character feels about another character may not be reciprocal they may feel entirely different about you but it immediately sort of frames how the people work as a group and i can see your your last belief which sort of enforces your character concept as a knight is i've sworn to my duke and my baron to serve as a loyal and honorable vassal i shall uphold their word and law in this land so really sort of hammering home that idea that you're an honorable knight yep. you, you sort of you work within that sort of feudal hierarchy also it gives you an indication of uh of the character's alignment. Obviously, in this game, alignment's not an actual thing like in other games, but it's as far as I'm aware. <laughs> but it gives an indication that he believes in law, or you know, or just yeah. doing what you whatever you want. Obviously, it kind of ties into his noble background and his, you know, what he is professionally, what he has a viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, Johannes. Uh, Obviously, you set up and kindly ran the game for us. What was it about this particular sort of scenario, this particular one-shot, that made you think it would be a good fit for for this sort of game? We've been talking about playing a little bit of Burning Wheel uh, down the line, having a campaign and whatnot. And originally, when we started talking about Burning Wheel, uh, I am definitely of the opinion that Burning Wheel needs to be taught <laughs> rather more than, than maybe some other games need to. So I just wanted to have like a bite-sized chunk to introduce some of the bits in, in Burning Wheel. And there's a number of these sort of like convention games like, like this one is and just like short little adventure scenarios that the... Uh, Burning Wheel HQ people have put out over the years. I don't really... Uh, well, Luke Crane, the, the person who made Burning Wheel, he says in the books that... like He has advice for running Burning Wheel as like a one-shot. And I think it puts Burning Wheel in a position where it's not at its best, just by default. Like Burning Wheel is not a one-shot game. In, in my humble opinion. However, it works just as well. Like it, it has stuff that can carry you through just a single night or maybe a three shot if that's what you're going for. It works just fine. Like there's nothing that breaks, but it doesn't bloom 
<laughs> in yeah. that short of a time because it's it's built for like its mechanics and there are a bunch of these these systems that like they gather stuff as you play the game and then um they come to fruition or they they will come to a conclusion a crescendo uh later on uh, as you've played for a little bit so having a, a one shot is really uh for me like the main payoff is to introduce some of the basic mechanics of the game uh just to get to grips of like how some of the basic stuff works and a little bit of the philosophy of how to play burning wheel so basically that uh, like a short intro bit that we could fool around in have a solid context with this pre-gen or yeah. as you said like almost fully pre-gen characters that you guys could put your your spin on and then have everything ready to go we don't need to dive into character creation at all we can just do the thing and learn as we do so yeah, I mean, that. some of the things I, th I thought worked well in it, uh, and so characteristics I recognise having run games at conventions myself, were that it was, uh, we started off with like a clearly defined mission, you know, travel to Hocken, investigate the rumours of famine, uh, sorcery, mm -hmm. um, the, the the seclusion of the, the Lord of Hocken. So clear mission from the get-go, so there's no messing around like having to go somewhere, get hired and yeah. get the mission, you like straight into it, the game started with us arriving in Hocken in the, the depths of deepest darkest winter mm -hmm. also it's an isolated location sort of cut yeah. off from everything else so there's no sort of like oh well you know I'm just going to ignore this village and like go to a town somewhere else because you're, yeah. you're in the middle of nowhere yeah and like you're not summoning help from the capital that's, that's <laughs> it exactly it's, it's winter so that's <laughs> yeah. no, no way and and also there's the it had a, a timeline to it so as as we were sort of going through, we we're like, right, okay, so we want to meet up with like the Lord of Hocken. Right, we we can't really meet up with him tomorrow without sort of breaking protocol and we're both nobles, we shouldn't do that. So it felt like if we were if we were just to like sit back and go, oh, do you know, we're gonna just gonna chill with this like guy, this headsman of the village mm -hmm. in his yeah. hut and we're gonna eat some like biscuits and salty meat or whatever. It it felt like stuff was going to happen. Yeah. Whether I, we were there or not. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's definitely, there's there's a, very much a timeline to this thing, and uh, it's it's much more um, like because it's it's made for a convention game, right? And yeah. you have tight time slots, and sometimes it's like an absolute thing in cons. Like sometimes it's just when the bell rings, you drop the pencil, and that's it. But um, it's much more as a result of that. It's much more of a structured thing than burning wheel itself is uh, like as yeah. a game if we were to start the burning wheel game tonight it would not have the same kind of uh, structure I, I would not prepare the same kind of structure uh, for it necessarily and not to say that like the world would go on pause if you guys like <laughs> had a nap uh but um it is it's much more of a traditional like scenario type deal that's been written for a specific purpose to like have the kind of like forward momentum that you, you were talking about like from the start you you arrive right in the middle you're introduced to a character who like is, is like the hook for you you walk yeah. in and the headsman drags you in and he's cagey about stuff and kind of shit and he keeps pushing you the fuck away like he does not want you here but he's not hostile about it so yeah. you're like what what's what's his deal like he's not like a he's not awful he he really doesn't want us here so what's up so you immediately get like the 
like a, like a piece of string to tug on uh, to see what falls out, and then you have a, a bunch of time to spend in the village, and then you you go and if you, if you're still in the village at night, uh, like stuff starts like jumping off because there's uh, you guys went to bed. Uh, if you had stayed up, there would have been a different thing uh, yeah. that you you would have um, uh, gone gone forward to maybe. And since you went to bed uh, and everything was like good <laughs> at the at the headsman's house, like nothing jumped off until everything jumped off because <laughs> yeah. the 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 village <laughs> folks gathered gathered outside the headsman's house with torches and pitchforks. But like stuff was going on before that, but you guys were sleeping. Yeah, I mean, it um, it strikes me that it, it was handled quite well because one of the one of the potential issues with like investigative style scenarios, which obviously this mm-hmm. is when you're at conventions, is if there's nothing, there's no timeline, there's nothing that's going to sort of like push you on mm-hmm. past a certain point. The, the, it's very easy for the player characters to wander around for ages, miss clues, yeah. not find what's going yeah. on, and pretty soon you're sitting like, oh shit, we've got like 15 minutes to go, and they're like, yeah. know nothing about what's yep. going on. <laughs> So, I mean, one of the things I've found when I've been running like investigative scenarios at cons is you have to have a certain period of time, like you were saying, you know, you get to wander around, you get to investigate the crime scene or whatever, but then there has to be a certain point where if the player characters haven't moved on themselves, events have to move them on. And obviously in our case, we sort of investigated all we could, then went, oh yeah, we we can't really meet the Lord until tomorrow, that the headsman looks a bit shady, but he's not actually like trying to harm us or done anything really against us. Let's, and he's offered us a place to stay. Let's shack up with him. We'll see what's going on in the morning. Then obviously the the villagers like the the pitchfork wielding mob gathering in the evening. That was an mm-hmm. event that sort of escalated yep. the scenario. <laughs> yep. And and so like so w- we didn't just have the option of being like oh we're going to wake up the next day at the headsman. Oh should we wander around the village a bit more? Should we do this? Should we do that? Yeah. Go to the general store. <laughs> yeah. Buy rope. We, 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 we had to we had to deal with it. We had to deal with the villagers and then this fucking zombie bear thing like turned mm-hmm. up and started attacking attacking the shit out of everybody. Yep. And Just crushing fools. Yeah. And one of the things that I quite liked, I don't know, don't know what you think, Matthew, but uh, I felt there was like a nice mix of different stuff in it. So we had like a bit of investigative time. There was also like the combat that you could jump in. So obviously your character's a knight, combat's your thing. There was lots of us sort of going, oh, do, do, do I remember my family telling me anything about this? So my character would be like, oh, I've got an evil necromancer for an uncle. Do I know whether he was in the area? And there were some like plot threads were like, oh, yeah, his mentor was once in this area. Mm-hmm. So, it was yeah. a nice sense of atmosphere. I enjoyed A general sense of unease from the moment we arrived at the village, which, which you know, perpetuated our time there until the uh, confrontation in the evening. That's it. Cause, I mean, as we were wandering around the sort of village, uh, the, those various details that were like picked at, you know, like the big sort of like scars down mm-hmm. the walls of several buildings, and the fact that there were so many abandoned buildings, where we're like, yep. well, on the surface, everything seems all right. The people certainly don't look like they're suffering through a massive famine, mm-hmm. but there's just a few things which suggest that like everything's not quite as brilliant as it looks in this village. Yeah, which I, I quite like. It's like that. Um, it's like that sort of like village of the damned sort of style effect where you like you go into the town and you're like on the surface everything looks for like um like a a lot of lovecraft stories you go into like a, a settlement you're like oh everything looks all right on the surface but there's just a few little odd things where you're like oh, that doesn't quite add up like, yeah then you then you're up late one night and you're like wait a minute <laughs> this, yeah, this i mean a- I, I like the thing where um, me and matthew had the the conversation where we were like 
oh, so something's attacked the buildings, but like if like a lot of people had been killed, that'd explain why there's no famine anymore because there's less people to eat the food they've mm-hmm. got. And it's mm-hmm. like it, it's like a, it, it talks sort of like a good thing where you're like, there's no famine, great. However, if there's no famine because they've all been killed by like a demon bear. Yep, <laughs> and, there's, and there's only like three of them left to like eat the food. Obviously, that just like flips that on its head, and it's no longer yep. a good thing. It's something we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the the whole scenario is is very much built towards like you can do your thing. There's there's like the village, uh, and of course you're you're set free to use your skills. Like you were like digging up your family secrets. Yep. wise skill to get get some of that good stuff in and of course like matthew's character gunter had the uh the option that i sort sort of like presumed and understood that at some point you were going to visit your uh your father's country estate maybe during the same day that you arrived but you guys postponed that and that was entirely fine but you had all these options to do whatever you wanted in the afternoon that you had left before um sundown and then it's it's mostly because it's it's the countryside right so once the sun goes down and this is a village not a town by any means this is really a village of like a couple dozen buildings of which half of are destroyed uh there's not a lot going on in in the evening so either you stay up um doing whatever it is you do at night when you're not sleeping in the countryside or you go to sleep and the scenario from that point on is built to just like explode uh, and it's the end of that particular because um, it's a three-paced thing. Like I said, uh, mm-hmm. the larger adventure sort of um, uh, triptych, uh, and this is the first thing's uh, crescendo is you go to sleep. If you're if you don't, there's stuff that you can like maybe do in the night and witness in the night. But if you're if you're asleep, and this is this was on you, John. You had the brilliant idea of of doing your magic on the on the door if you had not done that you would have been woken up by people tapping on your forehead being like yeah you need to come outside <laughs> they, they would have uh, gotten into the house and they would have just like straight up abducted you yeah I mean, and just, it would have been to, a different um, deal <laughs> just just to explain to people listening um effectively when my when Bryn and gunter went to to sleep at the headsman's house because we like thought he was a bit dodgy but he'd not overtly done anything I had a spell where I could like join two items together, so like, un- almost unbreakably. So I cast that on the door, like welding it to the door frame, effectively, of his building, which caused some problems because obviously he wasn't a big fan of magic, and he he got quite shirty with Bren, and you know, we, he, he was sort of like, oh, like you need to leave in the morning, and I'm not going to speak to you because like magic's bad, and. Um, we went to sleep and obviously we got woke up by these people trying to like bust the door down rather than like mm-hmm. them just like strolling in and like abducting us. Yeah. Yeah. The carpenter was outside being like, I'm going to saw this hinge off real quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you hadn't done that, they would have like, we would have continued with the scene framing of you guys being woken up and just dragged outside without anything, <laughs> anything jumping off. Uh, which did not happen because you had uh, the door or all ensorcelled and you had opportunities to do a little bit before things got real. And um, uh, it's it, when that happens, uh, you sort of deal with, with the people for a little bit and then the scenario goes like, and the bear. 
<laughs> yeah. So the, the bear is supposed to be introduced as a kind of like, and then just chaos ensues. And uh, that's sort of what, where we ended up. Uh, we, uh, you guys were inside the headsman's house. You successfully speechified <laughs> Guta. Yeah. You, you gave uh, a, like a presumptuous uh, <laughs> speech as a noble to these um, dirty peasants and uh, they were they were kind of like taken aback uh, and they were started to uh, suspect that they had like stepped outside of their station which they definitely did trying to lynch a couple of nobles but um, we, we had that whole confrontation and then we had the whole like debate outside with the with the kind of like the leader of these uh, upset uh, yeah. peasants, the the local smith, who was waving his smith's hammer around, yelling about how we need to wet the the fields with blood in the winter, so that in the, the coming spring we would have a harvest. And these interlopers here are disturbed, like they are an affront to the goddess. And then while all that shit was jumping off, uh, we had the bear. Uh, it basically interrupt the whole thing. <laughs> Just everything's cancelled. Bear time. I've got to admit, I did enjoy. Uh, obviously, it was a bit more eloquent than this, but I did enjoy like Matthew's speech. Was basically like, "We're nobles. You're not. Check yourself." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and check uh, yourself before you wreck yourself. And I, I quite like the fact, Matthew, that you basically went, you went to that place of like, "Oh look, you've not actually done anything that's going to like get you killed." However, if you like mur- straight up murder a load of nobles and like spray their blood on your fields. What do you think is going to occur when, like, all the other nobles who've sent us here go, Oh, they've been a long time and sent someone to look for us? Need to respect your betters. That's it. And it was, I, I, in a way, I'm almost like a little bit sorry that I played another noble character because I know there were characters who weren't nobles. Because I think it'd have been interesting to have like a party dynamic where there was yeah. like some nobles and some people who weren't nobles. But, um, it, it it was quite satisfying for me personally to like know that when it came down to that part at least both the characters were very much aligned in the the direction we we knew we had responsibilities to the people there but by the same token we we're like they've got responsibilities to us because we're mm-hmm. nobles yeah feudalism like get with the program guys like what what's this <laughs> that's that it I, I found it quite interesting cause it's something that can often sort of get sort of glossed over or like skimmed over in some roleplay games, not all of them, but it really did feel like that was actually a thing in the Burning Wheel session we play. So I, I did feel like the two of us were nobles, like walking around talking to all these peasants. And not in just sort of like, oh we're like kicking over their like well buckets and like sort of like, yeah, just like take, take, taking a pick of the women and whatever whatever like ridiculous shit people tend to think of as nobility. Yeah, Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> I'm but, being oppressed. Yeah, but but in, in terms of like actually they even the the headsman who clearly did not want us in his village was like, I'm not just gonna like sling them out because they're nobles. I can't do that. But I'm gonna do everything in my power to persuade them. So even when he when he saw me casting sorcery and he was like, Oh, don't like sorcery at all, that's a bad thing he didn't just like draw a weapon and be like, I'm going to shank you if you sorcery. He was like, you're a noble. However, I'm going to make it very clear that I do not like you doing that. And you are now like persona non grata to me. Leave in the morning. Yeah, Burning Wheel... Yeah. Mm. Uh, Burning Wheel does have a lot of... Like, if you want to play with that sort of like social 
Oh, here's the, our dog <laughs> trying desperately get to get my attention. But um, in, in Burning Wheel, if you want to play with the sort of like social dynamic stuff, there, there's a lot of that in like if you want to create a noble character, uh, you will have the opportunity to just like pick uh, increasing levels of social station to the point where like if people do not address you by your titles or like if they don't say like your grace when they talk to you, uh, like everyone who's not on your level socially, uh, you uh, like the um, the idea is that you are then able to just have them executed because that that is just how it works. Like you are spoken to as your grace. If someone doesn't do that, you can tell the guard, this man is disrespecting me. He is not using my title off with the head. And that that's a thing that will happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we've um, I think we've spoke a bit before when we've talked about Burning Wheel about how it's sort of got like a life path system to like generate mm -hmm. characters, and how a lot of that sort of implies a setting without just being like, yeah, here is a setting, and obviously a lot of sort of fancy roleplay. They're in a sort of slightly wobbly, sort of blurry, like pseudo medieval sort of society. So, you know, knights, peasants, etc., all that sort of malarkey, all, all the trappings of medieval era but i do think burning wheel does a great job at through the life path so if you want to become a noble yeah you can take those paths that will result in you becoming a noble whether you might still be like poor as dirt but you are a noble mm -hmm. yeah so, you have the title yeah so i like the fact that it, it very much again without really with with quite a sort of economy of words it conveys the fact that there is this feudal order in the setting. And of course, if you don't want to dwell on it, like no one's playing a noble, you don't have to yeah. worry about it. But yeah, no. it, it's sort of there if you want it. Mm -hmm. just, yeah. just so we don't confuse anyone who doesn't know Burning Wheel, see, I know a little bit. What do you mean when you say a life path? Okay, um, well, uh, certainly as far as I'm aware, the, the, a life path system was something I first encountered in the old like Traveller RPG. And it's been in like a number of other RPGs since. And what it means is instead of just like starting out with a character sheet and going, right, I've got so many points to put into attributes, so many points to put into skills, so many points to put into this, you you basically go through choosing different stages of your character's life. And each of those yep. stages might give you like a bit of equipment or like a certain ability. So if you go like, oh, I've got the life path of like farmer, you will have some skills associated with that. And then it will say, you've spent X number of years as a farmer. And then you might be like, oh, well, yeah. And then later on, I was drafted into like the village militia. And you might get some slightly more combatty skills. And you'll say, oh, and after that, I spent X number of years in the militia. So as you said... led directly to age. Yeah, as you... Yeah. Certainly in Burning Wheel, and I think yeah, in Traveller and certain others as well, as you go through like yeah. each... I think each stage has like a variable number of like years, if I'm correct... So like yeah, in, in Burning Wheel, well. there's there's a, a high variance in like yeah. how long things take. But yeah, yeah. So, so it's basically so, determined, determined as a dice roll. So you might go, oh, I'm a farmer, and it will say it takes D6 plus whatever years. Yeah. You roll that, and that's how many years you spent as a farmer. So, yeah, so what, what, I, what I meant by that was like you might be a hunter, and that might last for like a year. And then if you are a thinker, which is to say in, in Burning Wheel, basically kind of like a philosopher, uh, or maybe even just like academic a of some description, yeah, or like a her like more more than just academic because that's like you're in the city, but the thinker is kind of an outcast because they're they're kind of like a hermit type philosopher okay, deal yeah. who has like withdrawn from society for a bit and had a little think for fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs>
and uh, that's that's a lot longer than uh, most of the other life paths in, in Burning Wheel, which are like from one year to like maybe six, seven thereabouts. Yeah. So to, to get the other advantage of which look, I'm not seeing other games do that Burning Wheel does with its life path is that they exist in different settings, which are all sort of themed life paths. So. To use my example of the farmer, we'd be looking at the villager setting. So you grew up in a small village, and you start off by choosing village-born as your life path, and that tells you some of your stats, tells you a couple of your skills, like you've got points to spend on what skills, and it says that takes 10 years. So for the first 10 years of your life, you were a villager. Yeah, you were a kid in the village. Yeah. So how many life paths do you have to take to have a playable character? There's the, you. You basically, when you start the game, you set that out. Uh, so, how many life paths do you take is kind of the. Uh, if you wanted to think of it as like the power level of your characters, mm -hmm. if you pick three, um, that's like a very like I think in in the book, like the um, example for character creation is we're going to make a three life path character for that quote unquote first level feel uh, and the ad, like the campaign that they're making this for is like a, like a D&D type like going on high adventures and uh, a three life path character is kind of like the st just starting out uh, with whatever you're doing uh, two life paths is basically a kid like not not a, not a child but like a like a, a little bit older kid uh, very challenging is is what I would describe a two life path character. One life path character is just a child. Uh, uh, four is kind of a professional at the thing. Uh, five is a veteran, and like up from five, you get into just increasing levels of just mad proficiency with whatever stuff you have. And uh, I am a big fan of of the fact that even if we say we're going to pick five life paths per character, uh, let's say John here uh, really likes, uh, let's say, Tolkien, and he wants to play Elrond, the half-elven. So he could pick stuff where he's an elven noble, he has a citadel, maybe he has some like a small cadre of elven warriors at his command, whatever. He's, he's got the good life. And Matthew here... He, he's peasant born he was a farmer then he was the head of the house then he moved or his village grew uh, his, his like dinky like peasant settlement grew into an actual village and he became uh, like a local tax collector or whatever and then he eventually ended up in the city as like a criminal and that's that's Matthew's character who is in no way comparable <laughs> <laughs> to what John just picked, because John has a castle, guards, the whole thing set up, and Matthew has a rural background for a city, like scound, like a thief type character who maybe like has some connections to to folks, but uh, like just, we were talking about social standing here, right? Yeah. And these two people went in vastly different places, and they will have vastly different opportunities in life as a result of that. But they both have five life paths. So when I say power level, it's not exactly comparable to that because Burning Wheel doesn't operate with that kind of a mentality. Yeah, I was going to say, I suppose that this is a good point in time to point out that obviously, uh, as you said there, the, the life paths, the different races, etc., they're not 
in inverted commas, balanced. No, not at all. <laughs> so, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but the fact is, if you look at like elves in Burning Wheel, they are just generally like better at everything. Mm-hmm. Which, which makes sense because obviously it's ba- there's a very sort of like heavy Tolkien sort of vibe to the game, so that makes a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, some like nigh immortal. So almost like celestially beautiful sort of being who's been around since like the world was young is even if they've been they've only been sort of adventuring for the same amount of time as like this guy who like grew up in like peasantville in the middle of nowhere and was a farmer they are just going to be better than him and i think if you were trying to play it in the same way as like a game of like fifth edition or whatever where everything's tried to sort of like balance out i don't think burning wheel would work but no. Obviously, it wouldn't work because the game's not designed to work in that fashion. Yeah. So, a, a lot of the time, the the sort of like the raw power isn't really a thing because what what the game's based around is these beliefs that your character has and those being yep. challenged. So, even if I'm even if I'm the haughty elf noble in my castle with all my minions, and Matthew's like a scoundrel making a living on the mean streets of the city we'd both still have beliefs that are being challenged. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not immune to the fact that like things can threaten me in my castle any more than like Matthew's sort of imaginary character would be out on the streets of the city. Yeah. And uh, this, this is, um, uh, ties directly to the, the ad copy at the back of the book. Uh, the idea being that you're making characters who are, uh, Burning Wheel relies on characters who have strong convictions and beliefs and that they pursue them with fervor. Like they firmly believe these things and they will, they, they like are a focus in their lives. So um, Matthew's character might believe that I, <laughs> that they deserve a better station in life and write a belief about that sort of thing. And that will be the guiding light sort of in, in the fiction uh, as far as Matthew's character is concerned if Matthew decides that that's the particular belief that he's going to pursue at any given time. And the idea, like the, the difference that uh, exists between t- these two characters doesn't affect the the pursuit of these beliefs at all, really. Uh, it's It's all context dependent. And it's basically when you're making a character in Burning Wheel, you're picking sort of like the the backdrop for what what we want to do. And it's not so much about that John gets to do all the good stuff if John plays this Elven noble and Matthew plays uh, uh, like this gritty uh, thief on the streets. Uh, it doesn't mean that at all. It's just John picked that specific milieu for his thing and Matthew picked uh, his for whatever he had in mind. And it's not like a negative for either of these characters to have and be what they are. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that um, Burning Wheel is a game that's, because the only possible issue I could see with this, because I, I agree, I, I'm not a big fan of like the whole like, balance thing anyway, but uh, I agree that it, it works if it's played in the way it's intended. The only slight issue mm-hmm. I could see is if you if you tried to play it as like a normal sort of uh, 
let's say D and D style game for arguments. Uh-huh. You know, you're you're a group of adventurers who've come together. Everyone's gen the characters separately. You come together. You're a group of adventurers. I, I don't think Burning Wheel would work so well because. Obviously, the elf, the elf and noble in its castle. What reason has he got to associate with the the city born thief or whatever? Yep. But by the same token, the the way Burning Wheel works is the character creation encourages you to start thinking about and start making connections between the characters right mm-hmm. from the get go. So it's like if you just both turn up and you're like, "Oh, here's my character. It's all done. Boom, elf." And you're like, mm-hmm. "Here's my character. Yeah, city guild thief." You'd be like, "Oh, the, the, there's no real reason for these to interact." But yep. Because it seems like a game where it's made to run best, where people generate their characters together and they have some sort of idea to like, right, these are going to be people who've got to interact with each other. So we mm-hmm. need to ha- we need to have that mindset from the start. I think that's probably the best way it works. It wouldn't work if it was running a more traditional way. If you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do, and I I do agree um, for two different reasons. One of which you just explained. Uh, like if you if you made your character in a vacuum and you just like showed up, it would not work, uh, let's say, in the same way that these pre-gen characters would necessarily, because you would have had a thing in mind which might not relate to what everyone else had in mind at all, and you might have gone in a, in a really separate direction. So if you're playing the king and everyone else is playing a bandit in the forest, that's a game that I would like to play. That I, I that yeah. would be interesting. Like, why are I'll, I'll be up for that. <laughs> but if like the king player of the king character and the players of the bandit characters just had like entirely like opposite ideas of what the game was going to be, it's not going to work. But if that's the idea that you all came up with, for some reason this king <laughs> has something to do with this this band of bandits in the forests yeah that sign me up that sounds great there's but, probably a lot of cool stuff to th- do there you go matthew i think we've got the uh, i think we've got the, <laughs> the the later campaign of burning wheel sorted i think king danny mcgee and his band of outlaws <laughs> let's do it yeah um i can see you re- repping as like a, a king man <laughs> with, with the bling bling that's it uh and the second reason being um it's like burning wheel is definitely not geared up for like a like a monster romp type deal. Like th- there's no fighting like 16 kobolds individually. Uh, that's, it's, it's not really made for that sort of deal. Uh, but neither of these two things, like character creation potentially going in different ways and people having castles when the whole other group is, is going to be like a, like a, maybe a tribe of people who are nomadic and they will just, <laughs> have nothing to do with the castle bound character um and the the, um the fact is violence in burning wheel it has uh, repercussions that become very apparent really quickly when you get into the fight uh we like the the sort of like custom solution that we came up with when in the end of our little um taster here um matthew's character gunter uh failed his steel role which is to say like he his fear started to get the better of him and he needed to make a choice of how to react to that he could have like broken down ran away uh just stand there stunned uh and because his character has uh this particular trait 
this this character bit which says that he gets an extra option which is to say sort of like clamp down on his fear by overcompensating with charging head on at the thing that <laughs> frightens him uh, and Matthew chose to do that so Gunther charges at the bear fails to uh, fight it with his swords and it like basically turns into a brawl with a bear and the bear wins because it's strong very strong and it's a bear and the bear smacks him down and if we uh, I, I, I didn't want to drop, um, rob uh, Matthew or Gunther of the fact that Matthew had spent uh, time trying to half-assedly put on some of his armor of which he did not have the time to put all on uh, I didn't want to like sidestep that so we, we rolled some of the armor dice which ended up uh, deflecting the, the bears below but if the bear had hit uh, Gunther successfully instead of just like wrecking his breast armor. Um, Gunther would have been a very in a very bad place, and he would have been bleeding out. And the best that anyone could have done in the village is like find if there is such a thing like uh, one person with some herbalism maybe uh, as a skill, which wouldn't be like a large number. Like there's no. Uh, maybe like three dice pool herbalist type maybe and then like that's the person who would have been first of all stopping your bleeding and then like actually helping you with the wound which was severe uh you would have been probably knocked out by the dice penalties uh, i'm not exactly sure but you would have been real close to unconsciousness and you would have been bleeding out and the best help that we could have gotten is the dinky like peasant herbalist who is not going to be like real wise to like how how human bodies work uh, so they would have gone to the forest to get the the athalus plant the king's foil and they would have put it on the massive gouge in your gut and be like that's that's it we're done not done yeah so that that would have been quite the quite the blow and gunter would probably have died uh then again and this is we didn't discuss this um in Burning Wheel, you have three different types of, of these Arthur points, which John mentioned before, I think. Mm -hmm. um, one of which enables like the, the three of them. So the middle one the, uh, allows you to, if you have one of those and you would be in a position where your character is going to die, uh, you can state that your character has the will to live. So in this instance, for example, if the bear had ended up just gutting Gunther, Matthew still had um, the persona point, as it's called. So you would have been able to declare that Gunther has the will to live, which it's not going to negate the blow, but it's going to basically do that thing uh, where like Gunther gets like slammed down and he's down for the count, but and he's off screen, but he's not dead, and he will like have the opportunity to recover from his wound later on. Um, so we might have ended up in that sort of a situation if you didn't have your armor, which is like all of this this spouting and foaming about about burning wheel uh, violence, just to state that it's a, it's not the, the kind of game that really works as a like a highly uh, like prolonged violence simulator because the repercussions are quite dire. So if you get into a sword duel and you don't have armor on the person who gets the first hit in is at a massive advantage because the other one 
is going to have a sword wound in his gut, and that's not good for a person so the game to have. It can be quite deadly. Yeah, it, it can. It can if you get into like just straight up punch out fights. Uh, it's it's not pretty, especially with a bear. Like <laughs> that, that was your that was your first Speaking mistake. Speaking of the bear thing, you mentioned <laughs> traits. Yep. Are they like an optional part of the game, or is that something that every character would have? Yeah, it's it's built into life paths uh, as well as the skills. Uh, so if you pick, like, let's say a farmer life path, uh, you're probably getting, let's say, uh, sailor, because I remember that one better. So if you're a sailor, uh, and there's a couple of different ones, because there's like the city sailor, and there's like the small, like rural type deal as well, uh, but you're going to get a skill. Uh, which is probably something to do with either rigging or like seamanship. Like you're gonna have to learn some of that if you were a sailor. Also, your sailor uh, gets some trait points. Let's say two for this example. I don't remember if that's correct, but let's say you get two trait points. And on your sailor uh, life path, you have a trait list, which is like the traits available to this this character because they are, were a sailor at one point. And the same thing that happens with the skills. So a sailor has to know, let's say, rigging in this instance, because they were a sailor. You have to invest the minimum amount into that. The other uh, skills are optional that you can invest into if you want to. The same thing happens with the traits. So the first trait that is on the list with uh, with the life path that you picked, sailor in this instance, you need to spend one of your trait points into that, and the rest you can do whatever you want with. And a lot of the sailors in Burning Wheel are drunk, so if you were a sailor, you will know rigging and you will be a drunkard. <laughs> and that's not to say that every character has to be like the stereotypical drunk sailor type, but that's a thing that the, the character generation will pick for you. And if you want to, you can play that and get rewarded for it. So if you make a sailor character, you end up with the drunk trait. You don't need to play that if you don't want to. If you do, you will get rewarded, and this is where the, like the long-term um, campaign nature of Burning Will comes in. If you don't touch on your trait, let's say you never do anything with the drunk trait, so you never get drunk, you never touch alcohol, you don't do any of that stuff. Um, let's say every four to six sessions, you would have a trait vote where uh, we could say. Matthew, your character, uh, what's like a, like an unused trait that you want to get rid of that's not relevant to your character at all? And you can point out, I have never had a, a beer, wine. Like I, I've drunk nothing with this character, so they're clearly not a drunkard. And we vote on that. If that's okay with everyone, off it goes. And that sort of trait vote thing includes voting in traits as well. So if you have been like downing massive amounts of beer just getting wasted every time you're you have the opportunity we, we might go hey john you, you've been getting smashed for six sessions now so, sounds uh, likely <laughs> yeah i think we uh, i think we're, we're gonna have a vote maybe your character should get the drunk trait and then we vote on it if it goes through you get the drunk trait and then going forward if you want to keep getting smashed there you go you get rewarded for it now you get points for doing the thing that you wanted to do. 
like this is some uh, like a, a little bit of a deeper level burning wheel thing because it goes into the campaign nature but that's the way traits work in burning wheel if you have them and you play towards them and they cause trouble for your character which is to say interesting drama in the game you get points it, it strikes me to go back to uh, when we're talking about how you could possibly bring a group together uh, and we've already said that you know there's like a there's like a strong sort of vein of like Tolkien sort of vibe yeah. through burning wheel it strikes me that you know things like um, the, the the Fellowship of the Ring, where they're all like drawn together because of like mm-hmm. some quest, would be like ridiculously easy to do in Burning Wheel. Uh, yeah, but because like you, you've literally just got to make sure go like right, everyone's got to pick like one of their things that's connected with whatever the magical doohickey is. Mm-hmm. So you go, yeah. oh, you've all got to have a belief that's connected with like obtaining the One Ring or destroying the One mm-hmm. Ring or whatever it is. Yeah. Sorry. Which is it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I, uh, I've as you know I've talked to you about it before. I would really like to play in like some sort of Middle Earth game of Burning Wheel. I think that would be real fun, uh, like whichever time period really. Like I I I think all of it would be really fun. Like maybe some like Elven King War stuff. Like that would be yeah. power metal uh, as well as well as like if because you, you picked the Fellowship as an example here. I think like it might even be interesting to just say like we're gonna do the new fellowship. We're gonna forget Frodo, forget all of that stuff, and our characters are the ones like we start the game at the at the uh, the Council of Elrond, and like everyone's character is is like the fellowship. Like we form the fellowship. We have the ring now, and it's not about Boromir or anyone. Like we we could have a new set of probably like fuck up characters <laughs> who are who are drunkards and, and thieves and scoundrels I'll say but they are Al- Alron's like what are all these drunken sailors doing in Rivendell <laughs> I, I live in the mountains like how <laughs> all these sailors <laughs> yeah okay so one of the um, one of these sort of things I've, I've often heard leveled at Burning Wheel as a criticism is how complex the game is but Certainly from the the session that we played, and I know we didn't handle everything, so we did like a one shot. And I know there's various optional like spokes and sort of subsystems you could put on it. Yeah. But at its heart, to me, it seemed to be a a very a fairly simple D6 dice pool system. I mean, I don't know, Matthew, like having like the least experience of Burning Wheel. How did you find the system in terms of actual play? I actually found it pretty simple, like in terms of mechanically to actually play it. Uh, but part of that may have been Rule 20 doing some of the heavy lifting for me um, but it was uh, as far as I remember a D6 dice pool system you had to get over a certain number I think the target number is 4 uh, that can change <clears throat> yeah there's there's no yeah. there's no set target number everything uh, is dependent on basically what you're doing and the conditions yeah. of it what I liked about it is that once you decide an action, you sort of have to, you sort of commit to doing it. Uh, I, I think perhaps some of the people's opinions that it's a difficult system might be that it, it doubles downs on the kind of you know what you know sort of thing. So if you know something, you've got a decent sh- a decent sort of shout at doing that thing. If you don't know something, uh, your chances of actually succeeding are very slim. However, the game. Uh, from speaking, Johannes and yourself about it, uh, the game understands this, and by attempting to do that a number of times, you—that's how you expand your character. So by failing you know, <laughs> over and over, 
uh, you eventually do get the skill you need to do that thing, if I am correct. Yeah, yeah, that, that is how it works. If you don't know how to fist fight, just go out and start fist fights. Eventually, you will know how to do that in Burning Wheel. But th to speak to your 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 point, John, of mm -hmm. Burning Wheel being being complex and difficult, that is absolutely true. I I see how that um, that idea comes about. Uh, I don't remember how in like in which amount of detail I've I've talked about my own uh, sort of road to appreciating Burning Wheel. But it's not a thing to easily digest, especially if you're doing it on your own and you don't have someone uh, to talk to you about it who has maybe a little bit of an experience with it, the game. Mm -hmm. Because if you get if you go out today and you get the Burning Wheel uh, Gold Edition revised red and gold book, um, it is yeah, which which John is holding up right now is a is a beautiful book. <laughs> uh, but if you go out and buy that today, um, I I would say that there's a fairly high chance that it's not gonna click for you uh, for a good long while if you just read it in seclusion. And that's in part because I don't think Burning Wheel, the the core book, it doesn't have anywhere near enough like guidance on how to use yeah. things and and sort of like talking things through like why is this here and what kind of things you should be looking to use it for and it doesn't in nowhere near enough uh like clear language anywhere near the beginning it does not highlight the modular nature of the game if you wanted to and you absolutely should you can just start out burning wheel with the sort of game that we ran just have your have your stats your attributes and your skills and you just roll those in either like just against your uh, your like the inherent difficulty of building a door or uh, you just run, roll your graduated test which is like you just count how many successes you get yeah. or opposed test where you're trying to roll more than you, the other person is and you just do that starting out it does not highlight that like if you're starting out with burning wheel just don't like try even try to get everything in because that that is real hard to like just starting out especially with no help that is that is a like a huge flaw in my opinion in the book because that leads into these questions that i i sometimes see on like a discord where um and for our listeners there is a system in burning wheel called fight exclamation point which is sort of like this uh almost like a dueling system you're you're like zooming in to like mano y mano like i we're we're uh, on the bridge in mount doom and we're sword fighting we're we're sword fighting in a in a very intense like one person versus one person deal and it's it's a more detailed type of conflict system in burning wheel and sometimes because burning wheel the book doesn't tell you this sometimes people think that fight is the only way to fight in Burning Wheel, which is not the way <laughs> it is. And you absolutely should not use fight anywhere near the beginning when you start your Burning Wheel game, if you, especially if you don't have people who have played the game before. Uh, so it leads into these like misconceptions, the fact that Burning Wheel, the book, doesn't have guidance, that people like just, they read the book and they pick one of these systems that are really like in-depth, like dense, uh, systems and 
it gives off the impression that okay, it says fight here, so this is how you fight in this game, and that's not true. You you can just as we did with with Brian here with Gunter, uh, Gunter roll his rolled his sword skill against the bear's savage mauling or whatever uh, the the skill the bear had, and then you just compare results like who gets the most results, and then that's yeah. it. That's the fight instead of this like complex like couple dozen rolls, maneuvering maybe, blocking, attacking, doing feints with the intricate detail of the fight system. So that's, that's I think, the, the root cause of some of these complaints of Burning Wheel being super complex because it doesn't tell you that it doesn't need to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, we've, we've, got, um, we've got someone in the chat on Twitch. Oh, that's why I've just been a bit quiet. Uh, I've, just yeah. been, I've just been joking about legions of drunken sailors with Shadzar, <laughs> who is in the chat. Hello. And Shadzar s- says, so modern Burning Wheel is like D&D then, where things got lost as editions came out and they forgot to teach new players. So I think Shadzar's talking to like, is mm. it, is it, or is it uh, just poorly written like some of the first edition AD&D books? I, oh. Yeah, you go, Matthew. In, in fact, from, one, from my perspective, and I've not read the book, mm-hmm. but this is my sort of gleaning for people talking about it, uh, it seems to me the Burning Wheel is like a toolkit, and there are lots of inherent systems in that toolkit you can have switched on at any time you want, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. But the inherent, the life path system, I think, is the core sort yes. of structure you need. Yes. Uh, then followed by the beliefs and instincts. Before you get to any stats, these mm-hmm. they seem to be the the core things of what a character is, and then you actually get to the mechanical side of how you represent them in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's it. Doesn't come with an inherent setting. I think it's no. implied a fantasy yeah. by the elves and the stuff, and that yeah. talked about. But it doesn't have to be. It could be horror. It could be. Yeah. It could be sci-fi. It could be, it could be set on Mars. It yeah, it's. Um, it says in the book, uh, like Luke Crane addresses this, that it doesn't have a setting, but it has a very heavily implied setting. Like we were talking with John uh, about the social standing stuff, because it has nobles who can just order you executed if you don't like use their titles. It has wizards with wizard stuff. It has elves with like a heavy Tolkien type feel. But it doesn't need to be like explicitly like Tolkien fantasy, and it cannot be because the, the wizards are wizards. Uh, Tolkien doesn't have a lot of that stuff. And to your point of it could be uh, a lot of things. It's kind of it, that that gets uh, slightly more difficult if you're trying to veer off from fantasy as any kind of like a hitching point. So if you go space. Yeah, it can work. It's not going to be fully equipped for that because Burning Wheel would want to have like a whole different uh, collection of life paths, for example, for people who live on space stations. It would want to have a bunch of life paths for like a space colony type deal. So it's not like a straight transport uh, thing because uh, it's very heavily geared towards the implied setting, which is like... Um, sort of Tolkien-derived fantasy with some other fantasy on top. I believe there is a there is a game called Burning Empires, which is like sort yes. of Burning Wheel in space, or I think it's yeah. based on a specific series of novels from yes. graphic it's, novels. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, what's it called? 
I have the book in the shelf there, but it's it's based on a particular uh, I, series. Iron Empires. Yes, yes. So um, graphic novels. No, the basic conceit, uh, as far as I understand it, it's been a long while since I've, I looked at the book and I haven't read any of the graphic novels. But the idea being that there is like these like worm parasites that infest people, and they the core conceit of the game, the, the setting is that there's the human civilizations, and then there's these like parasite infested, like overtaken places and planets and civilizations. And then you have the core conflict is you're on like a planet and then like what stage of the worm infestation is going on right at the moment. Okay. And then, then like you do the burning wheel stuff, you get the beliefs, you get everything going on. Maybe you have a, like a, you're a planetary noble family and like some of your family is, in, is infested with these worm parasites and they're being taken over, like mind controlled by these worms and like then you proceed with the drama from there and then you escalate maybe at some point to full-on infestation and war type deal it, it strikes me as um obviously as we've said burning wheel takes a lot of inspiration from tolkien and sort of archetypal mm -hmm. sort of styles of fantasy it strikes me as like maybe it's a little bit more difficult to do with science fiction because obviously science fiction is like a big yeah big sort of umbrella Whereas obviously they've when they've done this um, burning empires, they've obviously gone right. We're going to take an established property which has like a very sort of singular mm -hmm. vision of what their science fiction is, and then we're going to adapt it to that. Because I think I think Burning Wheels is a sort of game where, as you say, a lot of the life paths and things like that they are they are heavily keyed into the sort of mm -hmm. game you'd be playing in that setting. So I think if you were just going to go, oh, we're going to do generic Burning Wheel space, I don't think that would work as well. Because nope. you'd have to imply things about the setting, and you can sort of get away with that in fantasy because you're like, oh yeah, okay, we're going to fall back on a lot of these archetypes that most fantasy sort of calls back to. Mm -hmm. Whereas there isn't really that sort of bedrock of things that you could fall back on quite so easily in science fiction. Yeah, they also did this uh, supplement way back in the day, um, which I also have on the shelf, and it's called uh, Burning Sands. Okay, um, which is I sense a theme here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you think um, Burning Sands uh, is Dune with the serial numbers filed off? So uh, it's a very thin, like like a booklet type deal, and it's a supplement for the Burning Wheel as it is, like the core Burning Wheel book. Like it's it's not like a big, huge, self-contained thing like Burning Empires is. Um, and Burning Sands is kind of the they're like a little bit of an like an extension that you can bolt on to uh, Burning Wheel Core, and then you can play out your um, uh, your own uh, Dune type space fantasy stuff, um, which is heavily focused on the conflict between the aristocracy and then the like the religious fanaticism of of the followers of the emperor. Um, it's a very old. Uh, addition to the whole burning wheel thing but uh, I, I think it's it's pretty good uh, for uh, as um as a point matthew to like can it do a lot of stuff i think definitely it can but it always needs to at least if you're just using the burning wheel core you're gonna need to either ignore a bunch of stuff or just do a little bit of like mental gymnastics to make everything fit uh, but if you wanted to uh, you could pr 
like spend a, a bunch of effort obviously but you could produce these like small leaflets which is like hey we made like six more like fairly small self-contained life path things which like allow you to take burning wheel core and then also use these life paths and you can run a slightly different game like with burning sands you could do dune but dune is already based on like a very heavily like feudalistic thing that burning wheel already does so basically you just need to add like a couple of dune specific life paths and then you're good to go you you can just replace bows with laser pistols or whatever and you you do you okay so um shadzar in the chat again said um what we've been talking about just there reminds him of like um first edition dnd where you you have to read the entire book sort of multiple times to Mm -hmm. avoid overlooking sort of things and I think I can certainly see why you might think that. I mean, there's a lot of if you you were to use everything in the Burning Wheel book, there's a lot of interlocking sort of intricate little mm-hmm. subsystems, which if you use if you chose to use them at all and you use them sort of in the wrong way, they might not function as intended. But as we were saying, you shouldn't really be using all of these subsystems anyway. They're just there in case you want to use them. I mean, yep. to use your analysis example, we didn't use the the fight exclamation point so zoomed in dueling system at all and we had a a couple of combats in the game and it was absolutely fine no worries but basically it's as detailed or as complex as you want to make it so the the way they talk about it in the system is they talk about it i think it's like the hub of the wheel it's Mm -hmm. like the core system and then they refer to all these subsystems as spokes Mm -hmm. so you only really need the hub but if you want to go for that extra level of complexity, you want to zoom in on particular aspects of the game, then mm-hmm. those subsystems are there for you. But I do certainly agree that like when I first started reading the book, and I was talking to, to Johannes quite a lot on social media about it, because uh, he's played it a lot more than I have and ran it a lot more. Well, mm-hmm. obviously ran it a lot because I've not run it. But uh, yep. the uh, I certainly felt that I was getting it a lot more having talked about it with Johannes. And again, having now played a session, like I say, played a session of Mouse Guard, I felt a lot more comfortable with the ideas that were presented once I'd seen them in action. So I do think it's a game that plays better than it reads in some senses. And that's not true for all games. I mean, some games you can pick up, you can read them. They're fairly mm-hmm. simple. It's dead easy to get into. But I think like a lot of things in life, you know, you, you sort of get out what you put in, basically. Yeah, and Burning Wheel definitely fits that definition. Uh, Burning Wheel is a game that's specifically been built to reward system mastery in a way that I don't really... like. I I can't think of another game that is as focused on that idea that if you understand a lot of Burning Wheel's mechanics and not just on like, okay, so this is how you roll dice, but how you... if you know how burning wheels things interlock you can do a lot of interesting stuff with it it rewards the tinkerer let's say um if you want a deep dive uh you can you can build a lot of a lot of uh cool stuff with it um which is i'm gonna use a very uh i guess like a simple example here so um burning wheel you have beliefs uh you get rewarded if you pursue them. Cool. Uh, you have a belief that, like, fundamentally cannot be solved. So, if you have a belief that says, "I will not raise my hand 
in in violence against another uh, as it is against my let's say my god like i worship a god that does not approve of violence i will not do violence on another person ever uh you can't solve that like that that belief doesn't go anywhere um there's no end condition to it it might change but then you're going to change the whole thing like it's you cannot solve non-violence <laughs> but it's it's a guiding principle which you will get rewarded for with the um, uh like the most common forms of reward points and then you can have another character who is like uh like violence is the answer like war is the answer to everything like violence gets you whatever you want in this life and i will like use my physicality to get what i want in this life and those two characters in the same scene will have these beliefs that cannot really be solved anywhere so it's they will have them as long as the player wants them to have them they will get rewarded for whenever those beliefs are being pursued or promoted in game and if you uh, if that was a game that i was running i would put in characters that basically hit on both of these people's characters at the same time in the same scene that they were in they would both pursue their beliefs probably have an argument and get rewarded for it and if that's the thing you want to do in the character creation if that's the thing you want to pursue in game you can just talk to your fellow player and be like hey so you're you're you have this belief and i think it would be really interesting if i had this belief which would like tie into yours and cause our characters to like constantly hit <laughs> yeah uh, uh, butt up against each other in the game uh you could do that and you could get reward points for it so you could design some of your interactions like this. Yeah, and as you say, that's all part of the, the sort of system mastery mm -hmm. we're talking about. And it, it's strange because I, I know sort of um, character optimization and stuff like that comes into comes into like a fair amount of stick. And obviously, mm -hmm. there's the, the dreaded spectre of like the power gamer sort of lurking out there. But. Yep. I often feel that, like in other games, like, the reason those things are criticised is because they take place in games that aren't really designed for them. Nope. Oh, we lost Matthew. We appear to have lost Matthew. Hopefully, he'll get back to us yep. soon. But um, yeah, they, they take place in games that aren't really designed for them. Whereas, mm -hmm. because Burning Wheel is designed to reward you for mastering the system, for getting mm -hmm. to know it, it's not a problem in that game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, Burning Wheel definitely, and at the book talks about this, um, that Burning Wheel is very much a game, and it's been like made as a game, and it encourages you to play the game as well, and it doesn't really, uh, like it doesn't in no way admonish you. Uh, in fact, it like like you said, John, it rewards you if you want to master the system. Yeah. And when I say like system mastery, and you get rewarded and stuff like that, I'm not talking about you doing like critical hits on your <laughs> on, on the kobolds every time. <laughs> it's like you you get to oh uh, apparently Matthew's having a spot of bother, but um you get to take the game in interesting directions when you start to master the system on deeper levels. Not to say that you can't if just starting out, but if you want to, you can like tinker with the game as a player uh, in ways that I don't remember other games having necessarily, at least in the same way. And I really enjoy that as a player. I and I get I get to play never 
<laughs> Burning Wheel. Uh, but uh, I've I've played one session of Burning Wheel as a player in my life, and well, that well, is well, a I, I, I'm hoping I can ma- I can master it sufficiently so that I can run it at some point, yeah. so you'll actually get to play it. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, I was it, gonna, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask a question there when he was talking about playing. Mm-hmm. I was like, so it's sort of the. I'm trying to think about it from a person who doesn't know anything about Burning Wheel because I'm almost that person, mm-hmm. right? So, to set expectations for like a GM and a player perspective. What should a player expect if they came to play Burning Wheel? Like, what would they need to bring? What would they, the sort of like outlook they would need to sort of absorb the material? And as a GM, what kind of, if your first time like picking up to run it, what would you be expected to sort of like go? Would you expect to have know the book cover by cover? Would you expect it to um, create your own setting, for example? Because you said it's not exactly it doesn't come with a, a published material. Apart from this scenario, which you can, I believe, pick up for free. Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, I think I think all of them that they have published this this sort of like con type uh, small scenarios. I think they are all available for free, or they have been at some point in time. They've uh, like at any rate, they will not be charging for them. But I don't know if they have themselves made them all available at this time because they've obviously been at this since like 2011 or something. Uh, so they've like published and then retired and published new stuff and everything. But these these scenarios from Burning Wheel HQ, like they've been free, uh, and I think you can pick up from their current web store. You could like just get the free PDFs for uh, the Twilight in Dutchy Verdorben if you wanted to. Um, but to answer your question, Matthew, like these are all things that uh, I would really like to have in the Burning Wheel core. You, <laughs> you hit on some of the things that I was just <laughs> saying that are missing uh, in, in at least in sufficient quantity for my taste, anyway. Um, so, like, what to expect? Um, like, Burning Wheel really expects you to take your character, give the character these beliefs, these instincts, and these these traits. And then just like go f- like full speed ahead with them, and don't be afraid of failure. Failure is gonna be there, as you learned with some of your roles when you were using things that your character did not have. Uh, you were using two dice, and you would have needed eight successes, I think, at one point, which is that's a tall order uh, with two dice. Um, so the and the book addresses this that like why are the difficulties like this, and it's because they th- think that life should be hard for these characters uh, that like drama and and interesting stuff in the game in general rises from the fact that you don't have uh, a great access to success <laughs> that you need to struggle also as we've said the, the fact is you fail upwards but, yeah, i guess that's the idea because the advancement is tied into like if you fail yeah. at stuff enough you eventually get good enough to succeed the idea is, it's a, I mean, I'm sure that once, let's say, let's use um, fighting as an example. So let's say my character, Bryn, had got in loads of fights. Like, nine times out of ten, I would have just got smashed utterly. Because yep. my fighting skill was dank. But mm-hmm. um, it, it must feel like, amazing when, like, through that advancement system, when you've, like, you've failed at, like, being fight that first time when you're like, do you know what, actually, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good fighter now. I'm, Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually now starting to like succeed at it so in a way the failure sort of it generates conflict but it also supports the advancement system yeah. in the game yeah and it, it's also 
uh, one of the things that I think is uh, it's talked about. The the rules are rather clearly explained in the book, but again, like some advice on how to use stuff. Uh, they do talk li- about this a little bit, but um, just Burning Wheel does uh, the kind of uh, almost like a like an OSR thing in that it rewards you when you marshal your resources. So if you go into a straight up fight uh, and you don't have the fighting any kind of like fighting ability in your life, and you're fighting a knight, let's say, uh, just going there, picking up a sword you don't know how to use in armor that you don't know how to wear, and having a duel with the knight—that's a really bad idea uh, on the best of days. But the game will give you an easier time if you prepare for that. So, let's say you wanna you wanna poison the the knight's wine that they drink before the duel or whatever. So he, he's going to be feeling ill. Uh, he's going to be um, diminished in some way. Um, you could get uh, like a really good sword that's easier to use, even if you don't know how to use it properly. Um, you could do stuff to make things easier for yourself, which is a thing you should absolutely do when you're trying to do some of the like harder things in the game. Um, and you get help, like you get other people to help you, you get the right equipment, you get whatever other like circumstantial thing going on. Um, and maybe you like, like negatively influence the other, like your opposition, and you try to like rebalance the scales to your favor. Uh, and bring the really likes when you do that. Okay, so we've got a, another question from Shadzo here. says, mm-hmm. how do you figure out which subsystem to use and does it grossly affect the game if you have to change them mid-game? Mm, I think, at least in my my opinion, and, and this is how I view the game, it doesn't really... Like the, the subsystems that we've been talking about here, well, fight mostly, but there's another one called the Duel of Wits, which is sort of um, like a social, sort of like argument. It's, a, it's an argument situation in which like everyone who is in that uh, particular instance, uh, you are basically like searching for a consensus and then reaching that and then everyone agrees to something. Um, that's uh, another one of the subsystems here. Uh, this you can you can just sort of like bring them out of the box when you need them so we could have the lord of the rings and uh let's say let's take fellowship of the ring so the whole movie like no one uses the fight subsystem that like intricate like parrying back and forth and that sort of thing no one uses that subsystem until the very end when aragorn spoilers <laughs> is is fighting Lurts or whatever the the big orc in the forest who like shoots Boromir with with arrows and has like a duel with that guy you could bring out the fight system at that point because that's kind of like the the high point like the important duel because and that this is the thing that's important and we bring out the fight because Aragorn had a very strongly worded belief about murdering this person and avenging his friend Boromir and you bring out the more intricate system if you want to because the moment is has more gravitas to it same thing with uh, the duel of wits so you are um trying to convince uh someone let's say the the 
the king of the Rohirrim to like go and fight uh, the Uruks and you, you're trying to convince them uh, to do that sort of thing you might bring out the dual of wit system because it's not as important as trying to convince like the guard to look the other way on the street instead you have like this strongly worded belief again about convincing King Theoden to do this particular thing you might bring out the dual of wit system and I would personally always tie using these more intricate systems to situations where the character's beliefs are basically in the line of fire so if if john has a strongly worded belief about convincing a particular person about a particular thing i can say as the person running the game john has indicated that this is important to the character this is like one of the three most important things in the character's life at this moment we might want to use this i will ask john john do you do you want to use the duel of wits for this thing because it it looks to me like you've invested in this moment and the dual wits is uh like you can get binding resolutions out of it which is like the the sort of big deal with the system mm -hmm. if you enter into a dual of wits you explicitly agree john that your character will abide by the resolution of the of that particular argument yeah. and i my npc will agree to that as well so whatever is like conclusion we reach both of the characters agree to that thing yeah, like it, it takes away some of your decision as a player, but it's not the thing you need to enter into. It's it's the sort of like gamble. Like, are you open to being convinced otherwise? And if you are, then you have the opportunity to do the same to my NPC, and then stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, m my understanding of the sort of subsystems is that th they're sort of there when you want to you want to shine a light, like a spotlight, mm -hmm. on a particular. Yeah. Moment. like you mentioned earlier like you know you zoom into the the jewel so mm -hmm. the, it's like when you're watching a film it's like if you see a few people fighting in the background and yeah and nothing however when the camera like zooms in on two people like you say when it's like aragorn fighting like the the giant uruk it zooms mm -hmm. in everything seems everything else in the background seems to like fade away and the yep. film for the next few minutes or whatever is all about that fight and what's going yep. on there. Or when they're having the big discussion about what they should do with the one ring. Yeah. And the whole scene is framed entirely on those people arguing backwards and forwards. Yep. You know those are important scenes and that a lot of a lot of what's gonna happen later on in the film or the novel or whatever mm -hmm. hinges on what occurs in this scene. And that's what it yep. strikes me that the subsystems are for. When it's yep. one of those big weighty sort of fate of the world sort of style moments that's when you, like you say, you might want to bring in the subsystems. As as for like whether it'll affect the game if you have to change them mid-game, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't see that it would affect the game massively because, as we've sort of seen, you choose on a case-by-case -case basis yeah. whether you're going to use them anyway. So let's say you use Jewel of Wits to work out what the fate of the One Ring is and then there's some other debate going on and you're like... Oh yeah, but I don't really think that's as important. Mm -hmm. You just sideline that subsystem and you just resolve it with a normal role. Yep, yep. And sorry, by the way, uh, in, in the chat, uh, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer questions because I surprise you. You might have noticed I tend to go on rants about stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely the way that John put it. That's the way I view it as well. Like your normal day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, unless you feel like it, you might just feel like, let's break out the dual wits. Like, uh, let's have some fun. That's the thing you could do as well. But uh, in the normal day to day, I would just use your like regular 
uh, like roll against like a set obstacle number, which is to say difficulty, or like just like how many successes you can get, or like opposed compare your success numbers. I would use those all day, uh, and then for the special stuff, I would break out maybe if everyone wants to, uh, and it fits the idea that we all have. I would break out maybe some of the more complex stuff, but otherwise no. And I don't think it's a problem that you would use, uh, like John was just saying, like in the background. Yeah, maybe you just roll your sword and you you will lop off the guy's head, or maybe he lops off your head and then you're dead. And what <laughs> what, what are you gonna do now? But like that's not as important. So we might just do the one roll and done, and then you you do the thing with the the. Uh, a climax of your particular piece here you do the more intricate stuff and then afterwards you continue with the basic stuff again and i don't think yeah. there's any any trouble with that at all yeah um so shad's all i'm glad this is all making sense to you as you say in the chat and i think you're absolutely right shad's has described it as so there's like a dial where you can turn the complexity uh, yeah. and the level of detail up as much as you want when it's applicable and then you can turn it down when it's not applicable and i think that's an absolutely brilliant description yep. shad's are it's, I agree. The, the details there, if you want it and you feel like the gravitas and the importance of that that situation mm -hmm. warrants it, or you just want to give it a go, as you yeah. said, but if you don't want it, the core, sort of the hub system is there, and that has you covered anyway. So mm -hmm. you never need you never need to worry about, like, oh, I can't, I can't be bothered using the fight system for this, so oh, what mm -hmm. am I going to do? Because you can just fall back on the core system yeah. and, you, and you are golden. And also, there's like depending on what type of game you're playing, you might never have, like even consider touching the fight system necessarily. Let's say we have our new campaign is going to be obviously it's going to be <laughs> King Bandit and his his Bandit Bros. But <laughs> um, let's say we we have a campaign with uh, characters who are all members of the court. So they're all courtiers, like maybe there's like the one of the players plays like the empress even, <laughs> and then there's like the court wizard, and maybe like the hound master, like the like the horse master or whatever of the court. So everyone's in the court, and we're doing like courtly intrigue stuff. I don't think there's gonna necessarily be any cause ever. Uh, in that whole game, like let's say that's a thirty app, like session game, you don't, you might never touch, even consider touching the fight thing. You might, uh, if if like things went that way, maybe there's like a noble court duel, and two people with no idea how to actually fight get into an argument, and they like my honor has been stained by this wretch and then you bring out the white gloves you challenge them to a duel in the heat of the moment because that's like your your belief is like i will not suffer indignity at the hands of blah 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 and then you break out the glove you smack them you you challenge them to a duel and then later on your manservant is like so lord uh you do you remember when you missed all those fencing lessons as a as a child and then you're like <laughs> you're right albert i do not know how to fence and now i'm going to and it's yeah. going to be hilarious using the fight system with two nobles who are using like fencing foils and they're trying to kill each other with no idea how to do that and it's going to be fun and entertaining to do and that's my that might be the only like case of fight rules coming out ever however in that particular campaign, you might use dual wits all day, all night, like bro brokering deals, like making like secret allegiances in the court, conspiracies. You're gonna murder the king, 
uh, you're you're gonna like get the bishop thrown out and your pawn is gonna be installed instead you could do all sorts of like shenanigans with that sort of thing and do that all day or you might just not use either you just go with the basic rules as Sean said but yeah, I mean, like the the flavor of the game I think dictates a lot of that as well like you there's no reason to use fight if all of your people are not gonna be like if if the game is not gonna be about that sort of thing yeah I mean as you were saying there when you were talking about them potentially using nobles um, in a sort of a more sort of social sort of wheeler dealing style sort of of game it strikes me that although we, as we were saying earlier burning wheels like heavily tied into this sort of like assumed fantasy background there's an awful lot of scope within that for actually sort of doing like different subgenres so i could quite easily see like you you could quite easily go like right we're going to have a game where we're all playing like grotty like orcs who are serving the dark lord you know where there's a whip there's a way we're all like we're going to burn the shire and whatever you could quite easily play like a sort of more standard like adventuring band you know mm-hmm. we're on a quest to like destroy the one ring or whatever yep. but then you could have i suppose almost like your sort of game of thrones style sort yeah. of like politicking Definitely. and intrigue and obviously you could have a game where it takes a little bit from all of that but there's mm-hmm. a lot of different subgenres because there's a lot of options in Burning Wheel that you could quite easily sort of have as the main thing of your session. So, I mean, the the sort of sample scenario we played, obviously, it's designed to give you like a, a sort of smattering of like everything, so you yeah. get like a bit of a general sort of basis on it. But th- that that's a fairly sort of standard fancy background. But you could easily go like, right, we're going to run a game. Uh, you're all playing like a. You're playing part of the crew aboard a sailing vessel. You go in to look for mysterious cities of gold in far-off lands. It's an exploration-based game. You could do investigation-style games, uh, more traditional, like, adventuring. There's a lot of different stuff you can do. Yeah, wizard schools, like, and, like, wizard cabals doing all sorts of nefarious stuff. Yep, you, you could, and, and, like, if you wanted to play a cult, there's a lot of uh, stuff for that as well. If you wanted to play elves uh, doing, let's say, like a journey to the west type stuff, or maybe yeah. like the the last alliance of men and elves, and then the aftermath of that, uh, you might even not like never go into Helm's Deep to fight. You might just like start the game from we're coming back from Helm's Deep with PTSD and a lot of grief weighing down our souls. Like, what are we gonna do next with like our lives, and are we gonna desert Middle Earth and leave it to the to men? Uh, you could, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of like, and because this is the thing, Burning Wheel relies on situations, uh, very specifically uh, situations which like the characters need to be tied into to make the game actually move forward. Yeah, I, I think to to come back to mechanics briefly, um, and I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite things in Burning Wheel, and the thing that I f- the, the first thing that when I looked at the book, I was like. Yeah, I like that. That seems smart, and a lot of the book is very smartly written. It it, it treats the the people reading the book as though you're you're intelligent enough to work work most of this out. So it doesn't talk down to you as a reader. It just presents stuff and says, right, you're intelligent enough to work this out. One of the things I loved first of all is where it talks about how it frames the basic role mechanics. And to to explain what I mean by that, effectively, when you want to make a role in Burning Wheel. You you tell the gem what you're doing and what outcome you're looking for. So my out, to use a stereotypical example, my outcome might be like, 
oh, I want to sneak past this guard to break into the castle. And that's a simple goal there. You, you can expand on that as much as you want. I could be like, I want to sneak past this guard to get into the castle, sneak into the king's bedchamber and stab him with a dagger. Obviously, that's going to be more difficult in the one role. But I tell the GM, like, I'm trying to sneak in and this is what I want to happen if I'm successful. The GM then says to you, okay, that's going to be this kind of role. And if you fail, this is what the result is going to be. So in my earlier example, I'm, like, oh, I'm just trying to sneak past the guard. The, the GM might be like, oh, the guard's going to spot you and he's going to tell you to get lost if you fail. Oh, great. Whereas if I'm trying to sneak in and stab the king, you might be like, oh, if you fail this role, you're going to get past the guard, you're going to get into the uh, the bedchamber of the king, but unfortunately like you're going to get spotted by one of the other guards on the way and you're going to get thrown in the dungeon, slated for execution in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the fact that you know the consequences up front. And it's not so you can go... Oh, actually, no, I'm not going to bother with that. Because you're committed at that point. You're sort of engaged yeah. in it. But it does mean that you know when those dice hit the table, once you've spent any half a point you want to spend, if you've still failed, you you have an idea of what's going to happen to your character. There's none of this like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I've sort of I, I failed the role. I'm not really sure what's going on. Oh, it, sort, it also feels a bit sort of up in the air. You know mm-hmm. that you failed that role to kill the king. You're in the dungeon. You're going to get you're slated for execution in the morning. You might be able to escape the execution, depending on what mm-hmm. happens in the meantime, but you know that's where you're going. And, that, and I yep. really like that. I think that's a really a really smart way of not only framing the roles, but also it sort of streamlines the game. So mm-hmm. you're encouraged to only make a role when it's something important. So there's mm-hmm. none of this like, oh, I'm going to make umpteen roles to do this, I'm going to do a role for this, I'm going to roll for that. You only make relatively few roles. And once you have made a role, whether you succeed or fail, you cannot then make that exact same role again unless the circumstances have changed dramatically. So I couldn't go, oh yeah, I've, I've tried to sneak past the guard. I, I failed. He's told me to get lost. All right, I'm going to walk around the corner. I'm going to hide for a little bit and then I'm going to try and sneak past the guard because I've already failed to sneak past the guard. However, if I hang around and that guard wanders off to a different part and I'm like, all right, you can't really see me from there that may be enough to justify another role that would depend on whether the GM thinks the situation has changed sufficiently. But I think that's a really smart mechanic that both streamlines the game and it it also makes you, once you get used to it, it makes you think a little bit more about how you phrase your roles and what you're trying to achieve with them. Yeah, the the scope of what you can achieve is different from, let's say, like, because it's it's about conflict resolution rather than task resolution. So, like you said, you could start out in the fields and state that I want to sneak into the king's bedchamber and murder him. That's a thing you can say, and you could theoretically succeed at it. It's going to be very difficult, but you you could make that statement and try try to do it. Conversely, also. Uh, the thing that John is referring to is let it ride. That's the name of the rule that states that if you roll for a thing, the result stands. And it, it stands for successes as well. So if John sneaked, actually like managed to sneak into the king's bedchamber until things change, and if he, if he murdered the king, I would imagine that the situation might change rapidly. Uh, but if he just snuck into the king's bedchamber and nothing changed in the near future... John could do that with no further roles. You can now sneak into the king's bedchamber 
because we have established that you made the role, you got what you wanted, and until something changes, you can do that. Well, that's I mean to use an example from the the game session we we played with yourself, which is thanks to Matthew and uh, Johannes for allowing me to record that is now up on my YouTube channel for anyone who wants to see that. Um, we when I cast the spell on the door to seal the door and it effectively meant no one could just open the door and come through it that Quasite succeeded in that role no one could just walk through that door so it wasn't a case of like oh, okay yeah well the um, they, they just push it a bit and they force the door open and they go through it was only when the situation changed i they actually brought up like a carpenter to actually physically dismantle the door were they able to bypass the door and even mm-hmm. in doing that, the consequences of them doing that were that we we then had a role to hear them, to see whether we woke mm-hmm. up, and the whole thing unfolded differently. It wasn't just a case of quickly like bypassing the role. So it really does make it feel that when you make a role, it's something important, mm-hmm. and you're, you're sort of setting something about the game. Something is either going to be true or not true. It's going to have happened or... Mm-hmm consequences of trying to do that are going to occur it never feels like you're just making a role and nothing's going to happen because of it yeah and the same thing because uh, we had that the fight with the bear if if you want to uh you can in burning wheel you can say i want to kill man and then i as the person running it i will say that is grand uh how are you planning to do that you say i will use my sword to kill this man and that's a statement you can make. If you succeed in the role, you will have murdered that guy with the sword. And again, conversely, like there's the failure condition. So let's say this is just like, it's a fight in a forest and you're trying to fight this dude to the death. Uh, it's, it's probably going to be to the death either way. So your goal is to get him to die. Probably the same for him. Maybe not. Maybe he wants to knock you out and take you to his cult buddies and further down the, the forest trail and sacrifice you later. Uh, but maybe he wants to murder you. And you could have a conflict in, in Burning Wheel where like the stakes are just death. And you, you just have your one role. And if you win, the other guy is dead. If you lose, the other guy deals you a mortal wound. You, you die. That was the stated uh, goal for both of you. However, you're a player character. You could have your persona point and you could say, I have the will to live. And yeah, maybe the guy thinks you are dead because you look dead because you're really bad off and it just leaves you in the forest and uh, you, you will have a chance to survive that. But yeah, uh, the uh, just to like put the scope to the front, uh, you could say a lot of things. Of course, you can't say uh, necessarily ridiculous stuff uh, as in like, I want to use my cooking skill to murder that dragon. That's not a thing that I would <laughs> I would say that would work necessarily. Uh, you would need to explain that to me in great detail. Now, now if you said you're going to use your <laughs> cooking skills for some elaborate plan to poison the dragon, yes, may, that is maybe. different. I want to make dragon food. Then I will talk to my poisoner friend, who is, by the way, insane because they've been inhaling poison fumes for 40 years. They live in the forest and are part of this cult. And I need to do a favor to this cult friend of mine to get involved in some cult business to do other stuff. And you see how Burning Wheel works. You, you 
like marshal your stuff that get, gets you involved in more mm-hmm. and different types of situations and you deal with that you eventually you come back like i have this stuff now i did that horrible thing in the woods with my cult buddies i have this stuff now now i will bake a dragon cake with this dragon poison and then i will again like go and talk to the dragon hopefully i don't get scared enough that i can actually talk to the dragon and i will try to convince the dragon to eat this thing instead of me uh and there's a whole lot more to that than just saying i will roll my cooking skill to murder dragon that is not that easy uh however i will use my sword to murder man context is different man is murdered if you succeed <laughs> shadzar in the chat says he's only mostly dead Nice Princess Bride reference in there. Very nice. <laughs> um, so we've been chatting on for a while now. Is yeah. there, are there any additional things anyone wants to go over before we close out? Um, we skipped, uh, and I, like, just for, for further context for the little games that we played, uh, we did not like formally use uh, a lot of the time this structure that John has been talking about here, where you state your intent, you state your task, which is like the means by which you achieve your intent, and then you get your your end result, and you also discuss the failure condition. We did not follow this structure a lot during the the particular session, and that's kind of uh, partly because we are comfortable with with um, role playing games in general. So we tend to go with with a certain kind of flow, and Burning Wheel doesn't necessarily have um, the standard flow in, in at least in as far as this structure is concerned. But uh, a lot of that is to like us being fairly new at this and me being uh, like I haven't played a lot of this game in a couple of years I played it a lot before that but it's been a while and I'm rusty and it shows uh, like thinking back now it shows quite a bit and we probably made a whole bunch of mistakes in like as far as like the game as a whole and the philosophy and everything goes but uh, even given all that uh, and I it's only because I've played this a bunch that I can like see that now looking back uh, but it's uh, I think the session was quite uh, wonderful. It was really fun, and yeah. I think it was, despite all my like personal like, because I can I can spot some of the flaws, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> like I used to <laughs> I used to be better at this. Why am I so bad? Like thinking back now, because it's easier in hindsight. Uh, I think it was fairly enjoyable, and it went quite smoothly. Like all things considered, uh, I think it was a lot of fun, and it went really well. Even if we did make a lot of mistakes and we did not follow all the structures and everything, but yeah, and I, th- I think that's an important thing to mention because as a as Shadow was asking about whether um, how well the game deals with you sort of not using some of these subsystems or like mm. putting them out in the game, you can still get a very as you were saying, Yannis, you can still get a very enjoyable game, oh, even yeah. even if you like you drop the ball a bit on some of the mm-hmm. stuff. And let's face it, we all do it in whatever role-playing yeah. system we're playing. Yeah. No, no one's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. But I, I always think the mark of a good system is when, as you were saying, Johannes, you can make a few little mistakes, but it's not like the game falls apart because of it. Mm-hmm. We still had a, a very enjoyable session. And to me, the mark of a, certainly online, the mark of a good session is when I'm that invested in the session that the time just seems to go like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 fin- we finished the game and I was like, Oh shit! It's like one in the morning, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. or whatever it was, and yep. the, the time yep. just seemed to have like, just seemed to pass yep. so quickly. <laughs> yep. How did you feel that the um, the session went, Matthew? 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, not as mechanically complex as sometimes people infer. Uh, interesting story moments. Uh, kind of a cool dynamic between the characters, I thought. Uh, and uh, a mystery that's still unsolved at the moment. Uh, but, uh, and the whole thing with the bear was a nice wild card. Oh, look, you've got like 20 villagers to deal with. And now a bear. And a bear. That's dead? Question mark. Yeah, it's when you described it, and you're like, "Oh, there's like, there's bits of like bone visible on the skull, and like bits of skin hanging off." And I was like, "Oh, as if it's not bad enough, like a giant bear comes in, it's a fucking zombie bear." Yep. <laughs> yep. And 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 it, and I think when you sort of get used to sort of burning wheel, you, because things are connected and conflicts feed off each other, as we were saying, you start making those connections yourself in your head. So I know for myself playing this character Bryn, where my uncle was like an evil necromancer. I know it, I know his his old mentor had been in the area. As soon as this bear busts in upon the scene with its claws out and its rabid mauling or whatever mm-hmm. it was, and you're like, oh yeah, bits of its skin are hanging off. You can see bits of bone. I was immediately like, mm, some necromancer mm-hmm. in the woods has summoned that bullshit <laughs> up. Yeah, and that that may not be true at all. It might have just been some bear with like a sort of an injury or whatever. But because we've been playing the game and everything had been like feeding off each other. I started sort of like jumping ahead a bit in my mind, going, "Oh, maybe this is connected to that. Maybe that's connected to that." And that's the sort of thing I enjoy in role-playing games. Yeah, and Burning Wheel likes that stuff as well. Like, yeah. and this is the thing, right, John? If you now we we have hopefully we will have a next session, but you could rewrite one of your beliefs at the beginning of next session and be like, "This bear must be evidence of my my uncle's mentor Gotrung being mm-hmm. in this area." I will. X, Y, and Z as a result of that. And Burning Wheel will reward you for that and it will, it will love you for that. I'll I tell, you, tell you what, we'll, hopefully we will have future sessions and we'll get to finish off this like, little like mini sort of three three episode arc. Yeah. I, I'd love, after we've done it, I'd love to like play back through the whole thing again, mm-hmm. but with me and Matthew playing orcs to see how it goes down differently. <laughs> orcs Cause, cause are I miserable. It, I expect it will be a very different <laughs> session. <laughs> Those horrible lives that they lead. Yep. Yep. But uh, all joking aside, I, re- as we've said, I really thoroughly enjoyed the session. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I know us guys tend to like game together quite a bit, so we sort of know each other, and you know, we know each other sort of mm-hmm. like how we sort of work in terms of role playing games. But I thought, it, I thought with that and it being a fairly new system, and us taking it sort of a bit sort of softly, <laughs> softly to get us introduced to it. I still thought it didn't feel like an introductory session. It just, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't like, oh yeah, this is the training wheels session of like Burning Wheel. Mm-hmm. It, if, although Training Wheels would be an amazing name for like an introductory book for Burning Wheel. We, we need to call Luke Rain. I say, after get, this. get him on the phone. And, um, <laughs> yep. But it, it didn't feel like an introductory session, like a dumb damn session. It just felt like a really enjoyable session of a role playing game. And I think you can't really ask much more of a game, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I had a great time getting back to getting back behind the wheel. Wink, wink. Wink. Hey. Uh, on brand. Uh, was was a great time. I had a lot of fun. So, look, so thank you guys for playing. No, thank you very much for running it. Good time. My pleasure to take part. I do have one other question to throw out there just for anyone who's watching this or watches it in the future. Should be good to know if they did want to pick up Burning Wheel and they did want to learn about the things we've talked about in today's stream, then 
what would they need? Because I know there's two books, and you guys have talked about mm-hmm. at least one of them so far. Do they mm-hmm. need both, or just, is one acceptable, or should they start uh, with one and pick up another? Because you told me they don't do PDFs, so if they want... Yeah, they, they do not do PDFs, because they want to have the books, like, as the focal point of of this particular game, they will sell you mouse guard PDFs, not burning wheel though. And I was going to say, if, if I can just like gush a bit about the quality of the books for a minute, <laughs> the, the, these, these aren't like some sort of like shoddy, like print on demand, like softbacks. These are properly like properly bound hardback books that they, they feel so there's none of this like, Oh, I've opened them twice and the spines cracking or the pages are going to start falling out. None of that. They're proper good quality books. You you literally I I think they're probably some of the highest like production value ones in my my sort of like big collection of role play books. But in terms of what they are, you've got Burning Wheel Gold Edition. This is the the rules for playing Burning Wheel with all the subsystems and all of that malarkey in it. And this is this blue book here is the Burning Wheel Codex, and this is basically how to play the game and a lot of extra stuff in it. There's a lot of stuff in this book that you read it and you understand how the rules work and that that's fine. But the why is is a little bit mm-hmm. vague. Whereas there's a lot of stuff in here where it tells you like this is why this happens in Burning Wheel. This is why you do this. This is how the various bits and pieces all work together. And I can see why they split them up because I mean if they put them all as one book, I mean look yeah, how, look how like- they get to be. That's like a thousand and two hundred pages or something. Yeah, but um, obviously because it wouldn't just take it doesn't take a lot to explain why certain decisions have been made in Burning Wheel Gold. So so basically they filled up this with lots of like extra stuff like there's there's lots of extra life paths for like new races like there's the uh, there's trolls like the, the sort of big like wolven sort of like, speaking mm-hmm. wolf style creatures. There's rules for playing. Uh, Elves that have been consumed by spites, sort of like dark elf sort of style vibe, but not in the traditional sort of drow spider worshiping sense. More in the sort of normal, Basically. yeah, normal elves sort of like suffer from this sort of like this ennui that gets worse and worse as they see everything getting like dank and corrupt around them. And eventually, they tend to either just sort of wither away because they can't take it. Or they depart for like the grey havens in the boats, and they're like, I-, I can't stand seeing everyone I love die anymore, and everything I knew turning to dust. I've got to leave it all behind. However, there are some elves who basically, instead of giving into despair, they turn that into like anger, and they're like, they're like, <laughs> oh yeah, everything is dank and decaying and turning to dust, and I'm pissed off about it, and I'm gonna let everyone know how pissed off I'm about it. Mm-hmm. The um. The thing that I was mentioning before, how in the Burning Wheel Gold Revised, it doesn't have a lot of guidance and like how-to type sections. And the Codex has a lot of that. It has the best practices uh, from the Burning Wheel HQ people uh, who basically they put down their like what like a decade's worth of of mm-hmm. their like play experience and how they th- have found that is the best way to do some of this stuff or at least try to do them that way to get particular results out of it yeah like john said basically the gold edition revised so the red and gold book that's sort of your your rules stuff and then the codex stuff is some extra rule like add-ons and also a whole bunch of best practices and how to use the rules which is 
like it's i'm glad that the codex is, exists but it adds on the difficulty of being in a different book like you yeah. need two if you wanted to have the actual like engine uh, and all the bits of it and then like the manual to the engine my, my only my only slight gripe with uh, as you were saying matthew about like, what would you need to get involved my only slight gripe is as johanna said earlier on um sort of burning wheel hq they tend to retire older stuff and then they release like new versions of it now there's some older stuff that once existed that hasn't been released yet but the older stuff has been retired so i know we were talking about um the monster burner the other day mm -hmm. yeah, which is yep. all about how to design creatures and whatever and there's some bits of that like in the two books i've been talking about yep. there but it, it doesn't go into such detail but they've they've retired the old monster burner book but there is as yet not a new version of it available. Mm -hmm. So getting hold of some of the retired stuff can be like ridiculously difficult. Yep, and expensive as well. So for everyone's context, Monster Burner is like two editions back uh, in Burning Wheels history. It's basically uh, a collection of pre-made uh, creatures, people, that sort of thing uh, from myths, uh, and uh just like general stuff as well and also a huge huge yeah it's kind of a best theory but then it also has a huge portion designed for well i think they say in there that it's as close as they could put in a book the kind of system that they've used to like create these uh these creatures in the book so it's it's kind of a manual like a system for making burning wheel creatures and people and that sort of thing and i don't know that they will be doing it again because i think they've stated before that like looking back now it's super clunky and not really working as intended and it is like i i kind of agree with both of those statements but it does exist you can find it online it will be expensive <laughs> and uh, it's yeah some of these things that other role-playing games have sort of a, by default like you you yeah. would not have like an edition of dnd without the monster whatever it's called uh, in that particular ed edition uh, you would not have a, a dnd without a bestiary uh burning wheel had it one time uh they don't have it anymore and i don't know if they ever will again but so yeah that's as john said like uh you i guess you would qu quite benefit from having something like that to like get you going do we know if what if anything um is next on the release schedule for burning works it doesn't seem to have been like a lot done for it recently yeah uh they don't do a lot of it uh i think they have their thinking cap on for whatever was left on the cutting room floor after they put the codex together which is by the way like a melding of two different like two editions ago burner books which are called the adventure burner which is the sort of like manual advice type deal and then magic burner which is basically the whole everything else in the codex so the codex is a combination of two previous books and i don't know what they're gonna do next really uh i might have read something once upon a time but the thing with with the burning wheel uh publishing schedule is they do stuff when they feel like they have stuff to do which makes it very hard to predict like yeah when when things will happen 
Okay, well, if no one has anything else, I think that rounds off our talk for now on the burning wheel, although I'm sure we'll come back to discussing it in the future. So it just mm-hmm. remains for me to thank Johannes and Matthew for joining me. I've been John from Red Dice Diaries. Thank you to Shadzar, if I can put my teeth in, who joined <laughs> us in the chat on the live stream. Thank you for your comments and suggestions as we were going on, Shadzar. And he says that it seems this kind of discussion is inside all of our wheelhouses. So n- hey. not, not only has Shadzar been contributing some great questions, also been keeping us entertained as lovers of puns so thank you very much for that hopefully you'll join us in the future for more sort of group episodes like this and i'm sure we'll get around to talking about burning wheel again so until we see you next time take care and whenever you're playing have fun see you soon bye-bye broadcast ends Yeah, so you were talking about time.